I have worked in hospitals that actively promote institutional racism openly. I have witnessed firsthand Black and Latinos women's voices stifled and had them be told their voices do not matter. I have witnessed firsthand and experienced mistreatment as a minority provider, even when speaking up for my patients that are minorities. Institutional racism. How can we address this? Hello and welcome to CocoaPods podcast, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sogadi. I'm the host of this public education podcast. For our listeners out there, we're talking to Professor Hedy Hedwig Lee, Professor of Sociology at Duke University in North Carolina and Visiting Professor of Sociology at Washington University in St. Louis. So, Professor Lee, you know, many women already have um, limited access to basic maternity services in the United States, uh, where there are no nurse midwives, no nurse practitioners, no family medicine physicians, no obstetricians, and no hospital uh, with a maternity unit. There was a Atlanta Medical Center just closed in November of last year, a big medical center uh, serving minority people. Um, I, and I want to use this to pivot to how would you define systemic racism? We we use the word a lot, but just can you just explain to us in a way that a layman can understand structural, institutional, and systemic racism defined? Yeah, a really good way to understand racism is this article by uh, Kamara Jones, who's a physician. I think she's a physician PhD, but I'm not sure, but she wrote an article called The Gardener's Tale. And she kind of gives you a really good explanation of how racism operates. So the first thing to think about is when we're talking about systemic racism, it's not about a person. So oftentimes when people hear the word racism, they think about a racist person doing things to hurt another racial ethnic group. Systemic racism is not about one person's actions. It's about a history and then current systems like institutions that systematically, that's the systems part, devalue and hurt in ways that treat other groups as less than, so to perpetuate inequality, right? And so when people often talk about systemic racism, they're talking about why is it that systematically we see that institutions tend to do more to hurt certain racial ethnic groups than help them. And if it's the same groups, what is it about our society that devalues certain groups systematically over and over again to lead to these outcomes? And so we're thinking about how systems work together to perpetuate racial inequality. And so it doesn't have to be one actor per se. It can be uh, it can be groups of actors or it can be systems that do that kind of work instead of a person. Just even from that definition, as an obstetric provider, I have worked in hospitals that actively promote institutional racism openly. I have witnessed firsthand Black and Latinos women's voices stifled 
and had them be told their voices do not matter. I have witnessed firsthand and experienced mistreatment as a minority provider, even when speaking up for my patients that are minorities. So this is a not too often spoken consequence of structural racism, perpetuating racial and ethnic health disparities. And we had a podcast in which a maternal fetal medicine specialist, a Black person, did all the training, specialized, and he talked about why he just suddenly retired early, you know. Mm-hmm. So in, in situations like this, you know, how how can we address this a little better? Yeah. I think it's really important to mention this, right? You know, we're talking about systemic uh, racism. There are instances where people are experiencing bias and it's right in your face. The trustee chapter that I mentioned, that's what she talks about. How she was yelled at and told to be quiet, right? Told that the, the outcomes that she was having was her fault, right? Um, when she was in distress, right? And, and she's not the only one who's written about this this kind of thing. And then also thinking about doctors who've done all the training and and get mistreated. I mean, my late husband, he talked about this too. In terms of thinking about where are the levers or intervention points? I mean, one is what you're doing. I think having these podcasts and talking about this is so important because a lot of this is invisible. Like nobody's going to know these experiences other than those of us who are experiencing them or those of us who choose to study this. And so having public awareness this is not during Jim Crow that we're talking about these things happening. This is happening in 2023 um, is important. I don't think people understand that enough. And so I think having more narratives, having these kinds of conversations and allowing for the public to understand them, I think is important. And I think there should be additional work in, in medical training. And so I think medical schools have a lot of responsibility and not just medical schools, because when you think about the teams you work with, probably thinking about nursing staff and others who also are like critical to the care outcomes of patients. So thinking about training in ways that really address bias and have people understand, you could do a whole podcast on defining racism and all the nuances of racism. But I think one of the things that makes racism so hard is that so many things that seem race neutral are not. We want to think that things are fair and that what happens just happens. People just choose to live in neighborhoods that don't serve them, right? Like that this is just a choice. And it's just such a misunderstanding about all the processes that play, the choices, the constrained choices that they lead to. I think even just having individuals who are going to be in the medical field understand, really, really understand what racial inequality looks like in the United States and, and why it's happening. This isn't about people making bad choices. There are structural reasons in place that lead to outcomes could go a long way in how people even treat each other and understand each other, especially during, um, you know, really uh, like time sensitive situations, especially I'm thinking about like emergencies. There's so many potential, you know, things that can happen. It's a high stress situation. You have to be very focused. And a lot of the biases and rudimentary ways that we understand the world come into play in our actions to each other, to the patients, to the team. Um, wouldn't it be better if we all really like had our true understanding of the country? <laughs> I don't know. I, I know maybe I'm just being um, too optimistic that knowledge is power, but I think it really could go a long way. And I mean, medical schools are trying to do some of that. You know, just talking about the patients, you know, American women, patients, and um, 
especially black women, they've endured obstetric violence and basically human rights violations with no way of reporting their stories and no one to advocate for change and hold systems accountable. And, you know, really until George Floyd, nobody, quote unquote, saw police brutality. So, you know, how can we learn, <laughs> really learn and not make these mistakes again as a nation for the rest of the Blacks and other minorities? I, I know that might be a, a utopian world, yeah. but we've got to approach it one small step at yeah. a time, you know. We want things to be better. We, we can do we can do better. We, we know that. Um, lots of women have their stories, their birth stories. And I'm sure that you've highlighted some of them in this podcast. And I know you have from some of your previous podcasts. Uh, I know there's different efforts being done for people to collect their birth stories, but I think it would be good for us to start documenting these stories somewhere, somehow. I know researchers do some of this, but I think it would be, it's something to think about because I think that, um, Birthing a child is is such a personal, but also public experience being pregnant. It's your experience, but it's everyone else's, you know, and it would be really good to better understand that. And I know, especially for individuals who've had complications, it can also be tricky because when it comes to birth outcomes and other kinds of health conditions, there's a way in which um, individuals can be treated as deviant, right? Like if something happened is because of something that you did, you know, and what people who study the sociology of illness talk about this too, the ways in which certain diseases you get stigmatized for more when things happen, especially when, you know, it's the birthing parent has this responsibility for the health of the baby, right? This is so much more common than people want to believe. This isn't just like, you know, a bad day for a a doctor one time. I've heard in many panels and even physicians talking about their experiences having babies. And I mean, Serena Williams talked about this, even as probably one of the most famous wealthiest people on earth, you know, almost dying, even black women and Latina women or birthing people of color, you know, have had these experiences too as physicians themselves. So I don't know, have you, are you doing some of that work too? Or like in terms of having people do testimonies? Yeah. And and that's one of the reasons I started this podcast, you know, Mm -hmm. having been a physician for almost three and a half decades, I started to connect the dots, you know, yeah. uh, taking care of so many women, delivered so many babies. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this happened to you or this happened to this other person. And it doesn't really matter about their financial background or medical training medical training and (laughs) so thank you for just bringing up the fact that you know we probably should do something more uh, robust with women reporting their birth experiences when they can good Uh, or bad good or bad because it would be good to hear the good because of what happened that was good like i think it would be good for doctors to read like what does it mean to to see a patient you know yeah 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 as we're rounding up you know we have acknowledged the ways that our systems and our structures have been suboptimal or in some cases fail black indigenous and people of color populations uh, you know, one of the things is, is that in Georgia, where I live, you know, 40 hospitals shut down their labor and delivery units in recent years. And most of these hospitals serve minority women. Mm-hmm. Is there any hope of finding a constant 
anti-racist and inclusive effort to dismantle the systems of oppression that are embedded within our current healthcare system. And I know it's a big will to turn, but Mm -hmm. is there any hope even at all? I think there's hope. I mean, I think I alluded to this before, and I, I do think that there's at the White House level, there are efforts to really think through the ways in which federal agencies work together in terms of their oversight, et cetera, for outcomes. And I think also just thinking through the ways how racial bias operates across systems, because so many of these things are interlinked, right? So when hospitals close, this often is related to other features of the neighborhoods in which these hospitals are housed, right? Which are related to, you know, economic policies that might be impacting the prosperity of those neighborhoods and the ability for a hospital to thrive within those areas, as well as thinking through other factors related to how hospitals thrive, um, not related to, to anything about the community per se, but the ways in which hospitals are funded. So I think there's lots of work being done. I have hope for, you know, those bringing insight and, you know, systematic changes being made to kind of think through some of this, as well as work being done by um, other White House task force on data collection, because often Lots of these things get missed, right? There is a requirement that there is important data that's collected and gathered to understand what's happening and who are the populations being affected and then what are the outcomes, et cetera. So I do think that there's some hope there. And I do think there are some innovative ways and also that that racial equity and economic equity are being centered. When oversight and analysis happens, there is going to be more focus on where are the inequities and how to intervene. I'm hopeful for that. We should look at people who are intervening. There are lots of different models and examples of organized uh, healthcare provisions and ways in which communities are trying to work together to find alternative ways to ensure that individuals have access to good prenatal care and preventative care, but also importantly, that individuals remain connected to health providers, whether those are community workers, healthcare workers, midwives, you name it. There are many communities that don't have the resources to be able to bring into fruition what they need, but some communities have been able to do that work. I think it would be really important for individuals who who are in positions of power at different levels of government to look to these these innovative ways of providing care that are leading to better health outcomes. And I know there's some really interesting and exciting um, community-based programs, especially around uh, midwifery that are happening, for especially in the African-American community, but other communities as well. Um, there's some really interesting partnerships here. I mean, I know um, Ebony Carter, she's a high-risk ob at WashU. She has a really cool like, community-based um, sort of like integrated program with WashU. So I think there's some good examples that could be replicated. We have been talking to Professor Hedy Hedwig Lee, Professor of Sociology at Duke University in North Carolina, and visiting professor of sociology at Washington University in St. Louis. Professor Lee, I mean, you've been great. I mean, you have educated me, my listeners so much. And I know you are an extremely busy person. So we are very grateful for your time. But in closing, can you leave us with some final thoughts? I think my final thoughts are I'm just so so glad you're doing this podcast. And I really hope that you continue to gain more and more listeners because I think that the kind of work you're doing is really critical and it makes me really excited to be able to talk to a practicing physician because I spend so much time just reading and writing and teaching. And so thank you for this opportunity. And yeah, let me know how I can help in efforts in the future. Thank you so much, yeah. Professor Lee. Thank you. 
We have been talking to Professor Hedy Hedwig Lee, Professor of Sociology at Duke University in North Carolina and Visiting Professor of Sociology at Washington University in St. Louis. Thank you for listening to CocoaPods podcast. Please visit our website at birthcenterfoundation.com. That is B I R T H C E N T E R foundation.com to learn more. This is your host, Dr. Bola Sogadi.